Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through chapter 14, verse 7. Paul had just completed his sermon proclaiming the good news about Jesus, who had come to earth, was crucified and buried, but whom God raised from the dead. This is the gospel message. Let's read what happened next. Acts chapter 13, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. But when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of God was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the apostles were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So what we have here are both Jews and Gentiles worshiping the God of Israel in the synagogue. When Paul told them the good news about Jesus, many responded. What is interesting is that it is the Gentiles who are eager to hear more. The word used in our passage is begged. The Gentiles begged Paul and Barnabas to tell them more. And the more they heard, the more they believed. Paul then used this as a teachable moment to remind them to continue in the grace of God. In other words, their faith was not a once-is-enough experience. Yes, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior is an event in your life that is once and for all, The book of Ephesians tells us that when we believe, we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Let me read that to you. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In Him, Jesus, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. But we must continue to grow in our knowledge of Him, grow in our faith, 
grow in our faithfulness, in love, in the fruits of the Spirit, in holiness, and in our testimony to others about what Jesus has done for us. A week later, when they gathered again in the synagogue, almost the entire city gathered to hear the gospel message about Jesus. How did this happen? Why did this happen? We can surmise that it is because throughout that week, the people were eagerly sharing what they heard with everyone they knew and everyone they met. To them, this was truly great news. Sins forgiven, a God who loves them, a Savior who died for them, the Messiah who rose from the dead. The grace of God poured out on all who would believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. However, although the Gentiles in the city eagerly accepted this wonderful message, the Jews were not as receptive nor were they pleased. In fact, the Bible says that they were filled with envy. Envy that these Christians could draw a greater crowd than them in such a short period of time. Therefore, they contradicted everything the apostles were teaching. The environment was growing more and more hostile against the apostles. The opposition became so toxic that the Bible says these men and women who were speaking against the message of the apostles even became guilty of blasphemy. However, the end result was not what they had expected, because Paul and Barnabas became even bolder in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And they also boldly rebuked the Jews, saying, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Then Paul quoted from Isaiah 49.6, a messianic passage that clearly prophesies that the Messiah would also be a light to the Gentiles. In quoting this passage, the Jews should have realized that they were fighting against God in this. They knew the scriptures. They had studied them faithfully since their youth. But their pride, fear, and rebellion blinded them to the truth of the word of God. And this would cost them dearly. Dr. H.A. Ironside makes an excellent observation regarding this incident. He writes, Strictly speaking, no man is worthy of eternal life. But God, in His grace, is offering it to all men everywhere. And when men turn to Him in repentance and receive the Savior He has provided, they are accounted worthy of this great gift. When they turn away from him, trample the love of Christ underfoot, and spurn the message of grace, they judge themselves to be utterly unworthy of the good things God is offering them. In other words, the man or woman who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ sins against his or her own soul. 
is not merely sinning against God. There is not any greater sin you can commit than, than to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. But you are sinning against your own soul in that you are shutting the door of heaven in your own face. And therefore, you are responsible for your own judgment. Well, after Paul quoted the passage out of Isaiah, the Gentiles in the city were overjoyed because now they knew that God loved them and it had been his plan from the beginning to offer salvation to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. Yes, this message came to the Jews first. This is what God promised to Abraham long ago when he said in Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Jews had been chosen, set apart, to be the witness to the world about God, who he is, what he has done, and how great is his love. You know, when Jesus taught the people, he was not teaching something new, but he was revealing what had already been written. So when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, he was simply revealing the great love of God, the love that had always existed, and his plan that Jew and Gentile might be saved through the redeeming work of the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. Well, the Gentiles came to faith in Jesus, and joy spread throughout the city. In their enthusiasm, they continued to share this glorious message about Jesus, and soon it began to spread throughout the region. However, the more it spread, and the more the Gentiles were responding to this life-changing, glorious truth, the Jews began to plot against the apostles and the church. They began to stir up prominent men and women in the city, people of power, wealth, and influence. The persecution and opposition grew until one day they literally expelled Paul and Barnabas from their city. In other words, they rejected Jesus. And when they rejected Jesus, they rejected the God they prided themselves on worshiping. One commentator wrote the following observation. When confronted by a disturbing truth, people often turn away and refuse to listen. When God's Spirit points out needed changes in our lives, however, we must listen to Him, even though to do so is painful. Otherwise, we may be pushing away our only hope for healing, growth, joy, and peace. In response to being expelled from the city, the Bible tells us that Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust from their feet against them. For Paul and Barnabas to do this to Jews demonstrated that Jews who reject the gospel are not truly part of Israel and are no better than pagans. 
It was a gesture of utter scorn and disassociation. Jesus had told his disciples to shake from their feet the dust of any town that would not accept or listen to them. As he said to his disciples during his earthly ministry, in Mark chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, he said to them, in, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So when Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust, it was not an act of rebellion against the city, but rather an act of obedience to the instruction of their Savior. This shaking off the dust symbolized cleansing themselves from the contamination of people who did not worship God. The disciples were not to blame if the gospel was rejected as long as they had faithfully presented it. From the city of Antioch of Pisidia, they traveled more than a hundred miles to the city of Iconium. This city is described as a very old city, which today is Turkey's fourth largest town of Konya. It was a center of agriculture and commerce, and it was filled with many Jews. Once again, Paul and Barnabas first visited a synagogue in the city. This would always be Paul's pattern whenever he would enter a city. The gospel was first offered to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Remember, the Messiah and Savior of the world was a Jew. As the Bible says in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Sadly, another pattern would also emerge. In every city that Paul would go to and preach the gospel, there were those who received the message with joy, and there were others who resisted the gospel message and persecuted the apostles and the believers. But this never stopped the spreading of the gospel, because as we have read before, it is the power of God unto salvation. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, we read, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among, your, among you for your sake. So let's now uh, read from chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, 
who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. When Paul and Barnabas first spoke in the synagogue in Iconium, their message was received with joy by both the Jews and Gentiles present. However, it wasn't long before those who were not believers began to speak in opposition to the glorious message of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will notice the strong language regarding this opposition, how they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned the minds of the people against the apostles and these new believers in Jesus Christ. I think we understand in our own day today how the mind can be poisoned against truth. But while the opposition grew, Paul and Barnabas continued to boldly teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They could not be silenced. The preaching was powerful, and God confirmed their message through signs and wonders. In describing this, one commentator explains, As had been the case everywhere they had gone, God confirmed the message by His grace by enabling Paul and Barnabas to do miraculous signs and wonders. Paul would later refer back to the miracles that God did on this mission as validation of God's working among them. He would write in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. In Acts, signs and wonders are key to revealing the work of salvation in Christ and to proclaiming the gospel. They authenticated the apostles' authority and the authority of those associated with them. In the early church, these great miracles empowered by the Spirit showed God's new redemptive work in Christ. I like the way the writer of Hebrews describes this ministry of confirmation. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Truly, God was at work in their midst. 
And why should we find that so surprising when we know that it is always God's desire to save the lost, to heal the sick, to set the captive free? Isn't that what Jesus said he was sent to do when he first announced his ministry in Luke 4? Let's take a moment to read that account. It was in, beginning with verse 16. It says, So Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This indeed was the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul and Barnabas were simply following their Lord in this, and God was blessing abundantly. However, the more they ministered, the greater the opposition grew against them. In fact, it is described as a violent attempt to get rid of them by both Jews and Gentiles. Eventually, even the rulers were so greatly stirred up that they decided to abuse and stone these faithful apostles. It has been said that God gave Paul and Barnabas power to do great wonders to confirm that their message was true, but people were still divided. They found the name of Jesus was divisive. It always will be. Those who accept him are separated from those who reject him. Those who love and honor him are separated from those who spurn and dishonor his name. In those times, we need to remember to sow seeds of good news, that gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sow it on the best ground you can find in the best way you can and leave the convincing to the Holy Spirit. I think that is sound advice. After all, God did not call us to be successful. He called us to be faithful. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul wrote this. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, 
He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. For Paul, telling the story of Jesus to anyone who would listen was the most important thing in his life. And he gave his life toward this end. But when Paul and Barnabas learned about the plot to stone them, they decided to flee from the city and move on to a different Roman district, to the city of Lystra, located about 20 miles southwest of Iconium, which was a a smaller community. It was in Lystra that some very significant things took place, but that is a teaching for our next session. Do you find it surprising the amount of opposition that Paul faced, although he was a faithful servant of the Lord? You shouldn't. Paul wrote in his last letter to Timothy the following instruction. Chapter 3, beginning verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Yes, my friend, continue to study the Word of God. Continue in the testimony of Jesus Christ. Continue in your service and ministries to the Lord and to the people that God loves so much. Be faithful to the task. Be faithful to the call. And on that day, when you see Jesus face to face, you will hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that your faithful servants, Paul and Barnabas, have set before us. Whether it had been times where their message was accepted or times when their message was rejected, they remained faithful. They did not let anything stop them from telling people about Jesus, from teaching them the Word of God. 
from trusting you day by day and moment by moment. And I pray, O Lord, that you will put it in our hearts to be just as faithful, just as diligent, to purpose in our lives to be that light, that witness, that testimony that you've called us to be, whether it be in great works or in very small things, to show forth the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God. Lord, may we be your servants and your ambassadors to this world. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you find these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. That's just all one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. Well, until next time, my friend, may God continue to bless you as you faithfully serve Him with power and with great joy.